Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who come from around the world and have been faithful listeners of mine for years and years and years, listening to words of wisdom from our authors. And today, joining me from a neighboring city, Cardiff, California, I happen to be in Encinitas, is Brian Smith, the founder of UG Australia. And he has written a book called The Birth of a Brand, Launching Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul. Good day to you, Brian. How are you? I'm great, Greg. How are you doing? Well, good, good. And for my listeners, this is a Beyond Words book. Uh, Our good friends at Beyond Words put out great books. And uh, I know the whole crew up there. So definitely go out and get a copy of this book, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Brian's story is fascinating. And with that, let me tell my listeners just a little bit about you, Brian. Brian was born in Australia where he developed his love of surfing. He was a chartered accountant. He studied at UCLA Graduate School of Management. And with $500 of startup money, he founded UGG Imports to bring sheepskin footwear to America. After 17 years with sales growth outstripping Brian's ability to finance production, He sold the business to Decker's Outdoor Corporation. The UGG brand has since exceeded $1 billion of international sales over time. Uh, Brian, beyond doing that, is a passionate innovator and entrepreneur. He's one of the most sought-after speakers, business speakers, and leaders in the country. As a media guest and inspiring speakers, he's committed to teaching his breakthrough business strategies to entrepreneurs and translating personal vision and spirituality into company uh, culture. Uh, Brian spends his time here in Southern California. He still surfs, plays golf, and he wants to improve the planet just a little bit every day. That's really a great axiom. And he also has a little formula that I love at his website called passion plus innovation equals your catalyst for change. Well, Brian, good day to you again. And thanks again for taking a few minutes. Now, hey, my, my in- pleasure. When you introduce uh, the book, you have a fascinating story. Um, And for my listeners, Brian's story truly is fascinating about how the struggles with UGG and trying to get it going. But the common theme is your trust and intuition. And, Uh you know, we've heard this from a lot of entrepreneurs. People like Bill Gates say that. Warren Buffett talks about it quite a bit. And listening to the voice of God. How important is listening and having faith to follow that inner voice? And how do you discern that voice from really other voices that talk to us? Oh, what a deep question to start off. Uh, the, I've just come to believe over the years that, that God's not way out there in the, in the, you know, at the end of the universe. He, there's a spark or a fragment of, of this universal truth inside every one of us. And that's what makes us all different. It's like, you know, how fingerprints are different. We've all got this spark that has an idea of what it wants to do with our lives. And, and the more we tune into it, the, the uh, I won't say it's easier, but the more steady our lives become. And I, I've only heard what I would call those words like uh, in one really serious instance, I, I was in a fire in a house. And it was when I like the week I came to America and, and this place was all uh, had bars on the windows because it was a pretty rough area. And 
I I was trying to get out the front door, but it was all burned shut, and I and I realised, oh my God, I'm going to die. And just as calm as anything, I just heard these words, and they didn't come through my eardrums, and it wasn't me imagining it, but these really clear, slow words just said, "You haven't done enough with your life yet, Brian." And I just snapped. I went, "God damn it, you're right." So. I just reached up and I started punching out all the glass in all the windows. And this was a, like early morning. And um, eventually uh, some construction worker from a few houses down came up with a crowbar and got the bars off the windows. And, and I got pulled out with you know, a few blisters. But um, that, was, that made me sit and wonder, okay, what was that voice? And uh, I've just... You know, over the years, that, that was 35 years ago. And over the years, I've just come to trust that that was, you know, my inner, inner being um, in a time of crisis, actually, you know, mm-hmm. bypassing the goosebumps stage and just going straight to the brain. It was, it was bizarre. I still think it's bizarre. Well, I think it is something, as I mentioned to you, that most entrepreneurs uh, listen to. And that's that voice inside and, and discerning. Uh, that it is that voice, that it isn't your ego. A lot of times, yeah. you know, when people hear it, it's like, uh, yeah, hey, go for it kind of thing. In your case, yeah. this is truly you could discern. I mean, you were in a life or death situation. Yeah, that, that three- was bizarre. I, I, I really think that in a day-to-day basis, uh, it, it, I've come to believe that it contacts me through, through goosebumps. You know, whenever I'm about to make a decision, that's that's a big decision, or a, or, a, or I'm in a quandary, and I uh, finally decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Quite often, I'll get those goosebumps, and to me, I've just sort of kind of believe that it's a reassurance of, hey, you're on the right track, Brian. Mm-hmm. Well, it it's truly is. I think people get it in different ways, but the reality is, those goosebumps is a great way for somebody to go, you know, you could just, you just you quiver or they have a deja vu or, you know, there's yeah. all kinds of ways that you can actually that, have this happen. So true. Now you say right off in the introduction of the book that, uh, the building a business is like raising a child and you have kind of some steps that outline the growth and that it takes a lot of determination. You mentioned that with every new paradigm, follows the same growth curve and and so would you comment to our listeners because there's a lot of listeners out there that are you know they probably got the fear in their belly of even doing a business or how do I you know get into it I mean look at you you came with 500 bucks you stayed in a 250 dollar apartment unit with bars on the windows um you know people hear these stories but oftentimes they don't get what it takes um, yeah, yeah. Exp- explain to us really the fire in the I, belly that it takes. I mean, swap meets on Saturdays, all the things yeah, you well, have to do to to get this thing going. Yeah, the 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 theory of of, of, of the theme that I wrote my book around was derived from the fact that I, I I thought when I discovered there were no sheepskin boots in America, and I knew it, one in two Australians had a pair. I thought this is going to be an instant millionaire slam dunk, instant fortune. And I bought, you know, six pairs of samples with that $500. And I started going around to the surf shops and 
you know, they were saying, fantastic, man, you're going to make a fortune. Yeah? So I bought in 500 pairs and, you know, raised some money from friends and bought 500 pairs in and went back on the road and they go, oh, well, we, you know, great, Brian, but we couldn't sell them out of our store. We just sell surfboards and trunks and sandals. You know, you should go to the shoe stores. And that was a huge wake-up call for me because we, the first season, like we started in late November, but the first year's shipping was 28 pairs of boots. Mm-hmm. You know, it happened to be exactly $1,000. And and that was such a shocker for me that over the next couple of years, I noticed how slow things were going. It became the theme of my book. And, and what I say is you can't give birth to adults. Every business is is conceived in someone's mind and then the first action is taken and it's it's given birth you know like like the birth of bug was me buying six pairs of samples and then every business or every service or every whatever it is you're doing just lies there and as much as you try and move it forward and prod it and overfeed it and you know jiggle it and urge it it can't get up and go to college this infant has to stay an infant but eventually it'll start toddling, which is like when, you know, people are writing articles about your product or your service and you know, some customers are starting to buy it. That's a really cool stage. And that'll eventually evolve into the youth where just like a kid can put his pajamas on and you know, eat at the table, uh, in business sense, the, the orders are coming in, the production's good, the shipping's great, the invoicing and accounting's good, and everything flows. And that, that's a fantastic part of business. But if it's you- a really, really, really good product that were like Agua's, it'll hit the teenage phase, and that's when it wants to be everywhere, really dangerous, and, and eventually it matures. So that's the theme that, that every business goes through. And, and for those people who are stuck in the infancy, you've just got to have faith. If you believe in your product, you've just got to have faith to see it through that period. Well, you obviously were in the action sports retailer market, and that's everything from skateboards to skis to anything new that anyone sees in that market. Um, There's obviously been a plethora of products, and some of those products are known for their, you know, rising star real fast, and then their fast decline as well. What do you take in this business market? You know, look, you have a background in an accounting degree from UCLA. You're you're a well-read man of all of the venture capital fund today that's just being invested into these businesses that aren't even making money, there's this internet uh, uh, businesses in particular, uh, we see many of them that didn't make money for years and years and years and ran off of other people's capital. That's not obviously what you did, but I'm kind of looking for a comment from you about, you know, what what is uh, – why do you believe this phenomena has happened in this particular era and time? Yeah. Well, the, for some reason, there's been a huge buildup of, of capital over the last 10 years uh, for investing. And, and I think it's because of, you know, crashes that have happened that made people just hold their money instead of um, investing it. But the, there's always everybody has the, you know, the dream of making it big quick without having to do anything. And mm-hmm. they, get wind, they get wind of you know, one or two internet deals that made billions. And so they, they start to think, well, every, every deal is going to make billions. And I, I'd say for everyone that comes out positive, there are 20 or 30 that fail and you never hear about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just, you know, the, the founders 
even the founders are disingenuous when they go in raising money. They want to, you know, they raise $10 million and then suddenly they've got the Mercedes in the swimming pools and, and everything. And, the, you know, three years later, the business doesn't do anything. So it, it's a it's a real problem. Um, it is. And it, it's interesting because I think there's so many listeners out there today that believe that that's what can happen. And, and honestly, in the 80s, when you did this, um, you know, it was a different time, it was a different era, and you were in the action sports retailing. But the story is still the same. You know, when you listen to Stark, Shark Tank and you see these guys come on and they make, you know, their pitches for their business and so on. Now, you you, you basically had your partner in this is Doug, and he left you. And then you moved out of L.A. and you came to San Diego. And you... As you said, you worked swap meets in Orange County and San Diego. You were continuing to struggle with this. Uh, how were you feeling about this business at this point? I think this was like, uh, I can't remember exactly what year. And what advice do you have for many of the listeners that are really thinking about a startup business and they're having to load the back of their minivan or truck to go to a swap meet to sell their goods to keep on forging it out until they can see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah that, believe it or not when i look back they were the good times mm-hmm. you know the, the setting up at the weekends and uh but before i came down to san diego i used to surf malibu all the time mm-hmm. and i had a i had a van there and i had i used to open up the back of the van after surfing and i had all the sizes and colors in there and i had a huge business going just from the word of mouth, you know, from because everybody who bought a pair just raved about them and all their friends came back the next day. Um, so they, to me, they were the good times. But the reality did hit after a couple of years where, when it was very seasonal. You know, I'd sell it you know, October, November, December, and then nobody would be interested. And so I had all this inventory left over and no sales. And, I, you know, I worked construction jobs and I was scraping the bottom of boats in Marina del Rey at one time and working on a golf course in San Diego uh, in the summertime another one and it was when I was in the golf course I, I started thinking about the business how you know how seasonal it is how how much uh, inventory I have to have just to satisfy a you know, pair of sevens for instance mm-hmm. um, and you know the the fact that Americans really didn't get sheepskin like Australians did I literally during that golf course summer decided to give up and I was going to quit the inventory, just sell it off and then go out of business. And this this was like after four years of being in business. Right. And, and then it was about October and the first big storm hit the coast. And I got back to my house, you know, soaking wet that afternoon. And there, there must've been, I don't know, 20, 30, messages on my answering machine from retailers screaming about hey we need boots we need boots you know and so from going you know at lunchtime to giving up to five o'clock in the evening thinking shit i got to make get some capital and make this a real business because mm-hmm. it everybody wants it you know so so yeah that, that they're the two extremes you know from from actually wanting to give up to realizing, okay, I've got to get really serious and capitalize this and make it into a business. Well, talk about capitalizing. You know, you were quite fortunate along the way. You had these people that funded you, and one gentleman was by the name of John Rhodes. And throughout the venture, I think you kept going back to John uh, to get the credit line. 
how difficult, you know, because look, today people are going to banks and yes, they are raising money in different ways, but let's talk about that for a minute. How difficult was it to keep um, it, John it always, in the mill and keep him all, funding? Well, uh, actually he, he was in for the first couple of years, but mm -hmm. the, pro the problem is with a business that's growing, um, we were doubling every year after a while and that you can't sustain that from internal profits you know even if you if your gross profits 30 40 percent your net profits maybe 10 or 15 you can only grow 10 or 15 percent because that's how you redeploy the capital mm -hmm. well we were doubling and so we were always looking for money every season to finance you know a hundred thousand then a 200 then 400 then eight then, then 1.6 million and now it's you know you know three million and even when I was 12 years into the business, the banks were going, ah, it's a fad. It won't be around next year. And the investment bankers, ah, you've been lucky. That won't be around next year. Your you know, Uggs will be gone. And it was because I was in all these different niche markets like skiing and snowboarding and surfing and, you know, the hockey market in the Midwest. They didn't see it as a viable business. And, uh, so I was always at the whim of having to get these uh, what you would call angel investors in mm -hmm. and they didn't want anything. They didn't want to pay out the old investors. So I had to do that myself and, uh, you know, we, usually with a note and then the new investors have put you know, bigger money in mm -hmm. and, you know, two or three years later, they're too small and we'd have to buy them out and bring in bigger. So it, for me, it was a nightmare, but it was only because it was seasonal and it was perceived as a fad, so I was never bankable. You were always jerry-rigging something together, it sounded like, to get the financing. And, and your chutzpah was amazing. And, and, you know, at that time that you were on the golf course and decided to give things up and then the phone rang, you also right. had another aha moment. Um, and I want you to tell our listeners, because you called this the six-pair stocking plan. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this kind of change, it was one of those, one of the moments, so we're going to talk about another one in a minute, where you right. turned the business around with this six pair stocking plan. Tell tell us what that, that was. That was probably, that was probably the cleverest, you know, apart from registering the trademark UGG when I started, the, the, the six pair stocking plan was probably the next cleverest thing I did. Because I realized people were walking into the stores that, you know, I'd, I'd open up, let's say, 50 stores, right? And, but people would walk in and they wouldn't have a clue what these sheepskin boots are doing in next to the surf trunks and the bikinis and all that in the, in the action sports store. And, and I realized that um, if, if nobody, if they'd ask, you know, what are these boots? And the, and the sales clerk goes, oh, shit, I don't know. I, you know, they're just on the shelf, you know, then, then nobody was going to buy them. So I devised this plan that if, if they stocked six pairs, which is like nothing, but it was a big, a big deal back then. If you put six pairs in your store, I'll give the manager a free pair. And that way, when people come in and go, what are these boots? The manager would go, oh, my God, these boots are so cool. You, you should try them on. And when that happened, the, the minute somebody tried them on, they always bought them. And so that became the trick to get people to try boots on. And for the, that, for the first, like, five or six years, 
that was necessary. After a while, the momentum got so fast and so, so many people had them that they didn't have to you know, try them on anymore. They just knew from their friends how good they were. But, but yeah, that six-pair stocking plan was probably the cleverest thing that I did um, to, to, you know, get sales going. Well, you also had another, I want to just call it, I'd say accidentally on purpose. You had you used to hire these UGG girls, you called them, and they would they would work the booze. And, you know, you obviously went to the action sports retail shows. You were at the ski shows. And in this yeah. one, you were at the ski show. And, uh, and actually, this girl was uh, dancing, and her top fell off. <laughs> and the incident was caught on video. And... Um, this particular incident actually uh, was a significant kind of turn for the people coming to the booth and wanting to try on the boots, right? Yeah. The, uh, she had a wardrobe malfunction. We'd had four, four days at the show with hardly anybody coming to talk to us because, you know, we had just had the boots on the table and this is before we tr- discovered the trying them on thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and it was just a fluke that the girls went to a disco one night where they had cameras installed and were featuring the people dancing. And yeah, she 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 was wearing a tube top and, and she did this dance move where she jumped up in the air and the top fell down and, and got <laughs> caught on camera. And they, they played it over and over and over again all night. And the word got out because they were wearing these tall white Ugg boots at the same time. And the word got out that, oh, that's the Ugg girls, that's the Ugg girls. And uh, the next two days of the show was just jam-packed with all the guys wanting to come by and see the Ugg girls. And at that time, we were able to, con- you know, we had the order pads and we were able to convince them to try, uh, you know, stocking them. So, yeah, we wrote close to $100,000 in that show. And that was like three times the previous year's sales and we hit it in, in two days. It was incredible. And that, that was pure luck, pure providence. You know, who, who would have known that could happen? Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. That was a funny story. But, you know, who said that sex doesn't sell? <laughs> mm. You know, but, but what a, but a great opportunity for you to acquire new uh, clientele. Now, you know, you read a lot and, and you obviously are a great studier and you've picked up a mantra from uh, a book called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude uh, by one of the greatest, Napoleon Hill and W. Clement Stone, who started Combined. What's the mantra mantra, and why is it so important to anyone in business today, in your estimation? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the one you're referring to is going the extra mile. Mm -hmm. Um, I... I sort of knew I understood what that was when I first read the book and this is before I even came to America it was right as I was coming to America to look for a business you know to take back to Australia and going the extra mile had always stuck in my head and I'll give you a great example it was one of the ski shows that we were at um, it was before that Patty and Jenny you know did the wardrobe malfunction a couple of seasons before that and in in five days, basically nobody spoke to me in in the you know walking by the berth, and we we were just sharing about a, you know, half of a ten foot table, so it wasn't a really well trafficked area. the The last day, 
you know, closed at three and it was like midday and I, I was going, oh, you know, I, I got to get out of here. This has been a total bust here. We've got no sales. But that mantra kept me, you know, going, oh, well, I'll just hang in for another hour. And then I'll hang in for another hour. And then right at closing time, this woman came by and she owned a big store back in Pennsylvania and she ordered like 120 pairs. And I mean, the most we'd ever sold before was like like 20. And, mm-hmm. and that that it didn't like make the company profitable or anything, but what it did, it charged me up thinking, oh my God, somebody believes in it. Thank God somebody in the ski industry believes in it. That gives me heart to come back and do it again. And so that's just one example of going the extra mile. And I'll tell you, there are thousands of times where I'm too tired, too lost, you know, no energy, want to give up, uh, I want to go home to bed, and, and I realize, no, just stick it out, stick it out, Brian. And it's uncanny how many times it pays off. Oh, it's so true, especially when you're working those shows or you just want to give up, but you make that one last call because you've been shut mm. down four or five or six times. And then exactly. finally you walk, through, you walk through the door and that person on the other side says, you know, you were exactly the person I was looking for. I'd like to talk to you. Let's sit down and talk. You know, whatever it might be that you're selling. Yeah. Now, yeah. in 92, you hit 11 million. I think it was 95, you hit 15, and you sold the business to Decker Outdoor yeah. And UGG uh, has, is now an international brand selling in excess of a billion dollars worth of UGG boots. What would you tell the listeners about exiting a business and how to know when it's the best time because you know they say when you start a business even before you start it you should have an exit plan now i don't believe that's true for most people they don't really have an exit plan before they start a business because they're not thinking of it but they say most good businesses good business people have an exit plan before they start their business yeah I, I had a really good friend. Uh, for, he was one of the owners of Action Sports Retailer. And uh, I was asking advice on how, you know, about business. And, and uh, you know, should you go to college to become an entrepreneur? And, and basically, you know, over the years, I, I've come up with, another, this is my own mantra, right? And that is, Going to school and, and, and college to become an entrepreneur is like practicing to go out on a date, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? There, yeah. there's, there's so much unknown, there's no way to practice. And that goes into the business planning. Now, i got to admit that, that, you, there, you, there's a certain level of ignorance every entrepreneur has to have. Because if they didn't have that ignorance, they would never go. If they knew all of the obstacles ahead, they wouldn't do it. Right. And it's like having a baby, you know? And, and so you have to have that ignorance. Now, having said that, uh, with the advent of the internet and these Excel spreadsheets and business planning, it's good to forecast where you want to go, but, but you have to realize you never know where you're going to end up with a business because it'll take on twists and turns that you don't even anticipate in the first or second or third year. In the 10th year, like I was in different markets than I ever ever saw. So to answer your question, um, I don't think you can, you can, it's nice to have a dream. Yeah, I'm going to sell out one day to 
a company in this industry. Okay, so so in, in a general way, it's okay to have an exit plan, but you can't figure out where you know what the market's going to be like in five years when you do exit. So why bother? The other thing is that there are times when, like one of the main reasons I sold was because my company had got so big that it was moving into meetings and you know, conferences and everybody had to have consensus and it was driving me mad because I'm very entrepreneurial and mm-hmm. I love going by the seat of my pants and I love making quick decisions and, and I don't care if it's wrong, we'll fix it when we get there. Uh, that's the style of business that I like. And it, to me, it's exciting and, and uh, challenging. But when it gets into, you know, these situations where five people have to make a decision on one color, it always ends up gray. And, and you know, it, that part of the business bugs the heck out of me. And so I've had got to be that size. And so when I did sell it, there were, there were other reasons. Like it, we, we were looking at a $20 million season coming up, and, and I didn't know how we were going to finance the production. So in solving that, I also, you know, got out of the business. But I was ready. And so I think the answer to your question for every entrepreneur will be personal and different uh, because if they if they feel like they've achieved what they wanted to achieve then and they want to move on, hey, sell it. Um, and other times it'll be, you know, God, it's not working. It's taken up so much of my time. I can't spend time with my family. I'll go on vacation. Well, that's a different reason to sell it. So, I think selling is a very personal thing, and, and I really don't think you can plan it from before you start the business. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's true, and I think it is a feeling that you get with inside yourself, and there's a lot of factors that affect your succession plan and your, your exit strategy. Um, also, all the mental uh, challenges that one goes through because they yeah. birthed a baby, they've raised it, um, they've they've grown it up, and now they're yeah. basically sending it off to somebody else, and that that is a very difficult thing for entrepreneurs. Are there any parting yeah. words of of wisdom that you would like to leave to with my listeners about this? Um, just you know, what in your estimation? Um, for anybody out there who's thinking about starting a business, what would you, what words of wisdom would you like to leave with them? Okay, well, I do a lot of speaking from stage, you know, since I wrote the book. And uh, the one thing that people come and tell me years later that they remember from my talk is this simple little statement, and that is the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is to live every day happily as a tadpole. Mm. Right, and it sounds very trite, but it is the most intense piece of philosophy that I've ever heard. Because when you start out in your business or your life in general, you know, raising kids, whatever, the best thing you can do is be happy every day. You know, it's mm. never going to be predictable. It's never going to be perfect. Uh, you may have great plans, but there'll always be some change. So. So instead of stressing out about, oh, my God, I'm not a frog, I'm not a, it's not perfect, it's not perfect, I'm not a frog, instead of stressing out about that, just go, hey, it's great to be a tadpole, I'm enjoying the ride, you know, and, and eventually it'll mat- everything, everything just matures and comes to, you know, into its being at the right time. So, yeah, if, if people can just remember to be a, enjoy being a tadpole, that's probably the strongest philosophy I've, I've found. 
Yeah, that's great advice. And that's such a nice little axiom to have, you know, just enjoy being a tadpole before you're the frog. You know, it's a, it's a great way to look at life. And like you said, every day has a twist and turn and you just have to be available and present to meet those demands uh, the best that you know how. And I think one of them too, that I just learned from you, like I've learned from others is don't get attached to anything in the future. You know, there life in particular is impermanent. That's a Buddhist uh, saying. Yeah. The, the impermanence of life, you know, we see it all around us. Friends die, people leave us, loved ones go. Um, you know, people have incidences in their life that they didn't think were going to happen and it changes everything. I think you have to be able to look at life and go, it is impermanent and enjoy every moment and stay present. And uh, you are a man definitely that exemplifies that. And for my listeners, if you want to learn more about Brian and his book, um, obviously you can get the book at Amazon or any of your best booksellers. Uh, I'm sure that it's a Kindle version as well. But you can go to www.briansmith, and that's just how it is, B-R-I-A-N-S-M-I-T-H speaker.com to uh, check Brian out. There's some great videos on there. I'm sure you can find him at YouTube. Uh, you'll find some videos there as well. Yeah, so, Brian, yeah. thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending some time with us today imparting your wisdom about being an entrepreneur. And for all of my listeners, uh, go out and get his book. The book is called The Birth of a Brand, Launching Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul. Thanks so much, Brian. Hey, thank you, Greg. I had, I had a good time. <laughs>